Welcome, friends, to the Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. Ahoy, Matt, and bonjour. Uh, here today, bringing you the Star Trek universe panel news from San Diego Comic-Con. A dizzying and fast-moving panel it was, uh, scheduled for 90 minutes with three 30-minute pods, nacelles, one might say. And Pete, it starts with the uh, the current home base of Kurtz Trek, a.k.a. the Star Trek universe, that, of course, with Discovery. Yes, and uh, I think something that... Uh, we had been talking a lot about heading into this, you know, how worthy the show is. And they had conducted a for your consideration campaign. And there was success, Matt. They had four uh, nominations for Emmy. Um, and, and that is excellent, but almost exclusively on the technical side. Yes, I have to imagine that from a PR standpoint, it was a it was a disappointing outing for Emmy nominations. You and I both think this is a show that's worthy of uh, acting, writing, directing nominations, things like that. I mean, sort. Doug Jones, come on. <laughs> um, if, if not now, when? Uh, so true, so true. And for it to walk away with... Nominations for Outstanding Main Title Design. Those are your credits, Pete. Outstand, outstanding Prosthetic Makeup uh, for Series Limited Series Movie or Special. Uh, outstanding Sound Editing and uh, Outstanding Visual Effects. All well-earned there. But again, you know, I think a PR letdown that their, that their PR department, that their people in charge of the FYC campaign walked away, you know, largely uh, empty-handed for these larger... Uh, categories let's look at the upshot it has never been more competitive uh over 500 scripted offerings for the first time in television history um some categories are just beyond bonkers in terms of the talent and the capabilities so this should though they fell short still be viewed as a success and let's think too, Matt, they're coming back hungry. Uh, they're forging forward where we've never been a thousand years in the future. And it's still canon. They're not going to undo. Uh, the, the Klingons aren't coming away. The Vulcans uh, aren't going to merge with the Klingons and have bumpy heads and pointy ears. It all still matters. I don't fault Kurtzman and company for opening with a message to remind people that this is still uh, Gene Rodberry's great vision and all of that. I don't fault them because, you know, Comic-Con presentations are, among other things, a big PR move, a big way to communicate directly to fans about a product. Uh, I don't know that there's many panels for things that are free, you know, like uh, it's, it's comic book giveaway day. We're going to do Hall H. You know, that's that's never the case. Uh, but the fact that there are Star Trek fans who get still get embroiled in these silly discussions and and whatnot, that was the disappointing thing. And somebody on Twitter, uh, you know, had words to those effect that are that are ringing in my ears right now. But it is what it is. And Pete, so hashtag still canon. What do we know about the third season? Matt, shockingly, they have already filmed some of it. Uh, and filmed it in another country besides Canada. Yes. Uh, so Nico Martin-Green has shot uh, all of 301, part of 301, scenes from 301 in Iceland. And um, I think that took everybody uh, for a shock because we've heard things in the last, I want to say, week, maybe 10 days at most of... Um, hey, this cast member just showed up in Toronto. Hey, this one is saying goodbye to L.A. friends, see you after filming, things like that. But I think that if we are headed towards a story of, um, of, of the crew has been split up somehow, that's how you get Sonica Martin-Green, perhaps a couple other people, perhaps, you know, perhaps a couple other characters, perhaps not, 
um, going to Iceland, small camera crew, you know, oh no, I'm on the ice all alone or whatever the storyline might be. I think that's how you can both start filming with her and still have cast and crew assembling in Toronto proper. Right. And they teased that the third season will be about them as a family. They're all alone now, separated from what they knew in the past. It's going to cement them even further. And of course, it makes sense that they've got to find one another at first and uh, helping uh, Burnham to find everybody else and perhaps herself is new cast member and regular for season three, David Ajella as Cleveland Book Booker. It's funny. Anytime there's a new character introduced and all you know kind of is their name, um, <laughs> they these names sound so contrived. And fast forward a year later, you're like, yeah, it's Book. It, Cleveland Book Booker. Come on, man. Um, and that's that's not just this name. That's every name. You know, William T. Riker. That just sounds like a, a tough guy who sits on chairs backwards. And then it's just becomes Commander Riker. Um, certainly details on Discovery proper uh, from there were a little uh, <laughs> short, no pun intended. But then there were also announcements as part of the Discovery banner here that six short treks are coming. Three will have Pike, Spock, and number one. Of those three kind of Pike's Enterprise uh, uh, short treks, one's going to involve Tribbles. You're going to have H. John Benjamin playing a captain. Pete, that's your Sterling Archer if you ever check out a show called Archer. I, I'm aware of Archer, Matt. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is insane to be watching the current season of Archer where he's on a spaceship and looking dashing and tall and full head of hair as yeah. Archer. And then to see H. John Benjamin, who is not quite doesn't quite look the way archer does but to still see him there and whatnot and um of this pikes enterprise short trek uh story arc three short treks uh we're gonna see spock and number one stuck in a turbo lift too much hilarity yeah really excited to see the footage there obviously with um ethan uh, peck having uh you know finished up star trek discovery season two and then who knows, at one point they made the decision, OK, we're going to bring you guys back for some short treks, you know, because fans really liked you. And then we'll talk a little bit more about where that potentially goes. But the hair is a little shorter. It works with the earlier time frame. It's him coming aboard the Enterprise for the first time. And of course, he and the Vulcan-esque number one share a turbo lift ride there in what I'm sure will be a classic. Uh, I know that there's also going to be a Picard prequel as one of these short treks. So Pete, three Pikes Enterprise, one Picard. I know that they've mentioned that there are animated short treks coming. So, you know, can we assume that's part of this bunch of six, even though it wasn't expressly said? Yes, it is. And the only question that remains at this point with the short treks is when um, we got with Picard a little later, which we're going to go into detail chronologically 2020, which we expected to be in the fall. They have three episodes left to film of a number. We're not exactly sure. We believe it to be 10. So. Um, with that pushed back a little bit and, you know, subscriptions to CBS all access, let's put it this way. We're going to see Picard before we see discovery. So do they goose the subscriptions with here's a little bit more discovery because you guys like that and you give those, uh, perhaps they open with the Picard one and then the Picard, uh, series comes and then they give the other ones after uh, the animated ones where they fit in there and when the animated show is going to drop and how exactly they're going to go week to week. Are they going to do all at once? Um, these questions unanswered to this point and open to much speculation. I think this is a good crossroads moment to say, you know, we, of course, love Discovery as this new product. It's difficult to not be most excited about Picard because of the nostalgia factor. And if we're right in this count of the short treks, 
and I mean, it's difficult to not be. They said three Pikes Enterprise. They said one Picard. We are inferring two animated. If the We've two been anim- told two animated. Well, even better then. If the two animated ones tie into lower decks, which we'll be talking about momentarily, then there's this large swath of time where we just don't see Discovery. And on the one hand, I'm excited about the short tracks. I'm excited about any kind of Pikes Enterprise story. Oh, wait, there's a nostalgia factor there. I'm excited about the Picard short track nostalgia factor, Picard series nostalgia factor. I know that there's newness to them, but I guess I just kind of vaguely worry, you know, is Discovery being pushed back, pushed back as old reliable to a point where, oh, Discovery returns, you know, spring 2020. Yes, I remember that show. Yeah, I I don't think they have to lean so heavily on the thing that put them out there again for the first time in a long time. Uh, and when you look at the titles here, you can infer where they might be going. Children of Mars is the Picard one. Mars, of course, related to Remus, Romulans, Picard, etc. Some of the other titles, Ask Not. Then there's Q&A. There's The Trouble with Edward. Just fabulously mysterious title there the girl who made tribbles oh there you go and also it makes me think vaguely of charlie x i mean not vaguely it's a common male name and charlie x gave uh kirk and company such trouble um the girl who made the stars another really just i feel like you could open up one of those 1950s sci-fi pulp magazines and there's you know uh, that could be the title one of those stories well remember that's a discovery illusion Back to the beginning of season two. Ah, yes. I, Pete, I must admit I had forgotten, but yes, that that uh, that uh, opening there to season two. Uh, and then the last title here, A Frame and Dot. Yeah, so pregnant with possible meanings, and we've seen that trailer there. It's delicious. What we did not expect is that we would get uh, Anson Mount's Captain Pike for any of these short treks. We knew about um, Ethan Peck. We knew about Rebecca Romaine uh, reprising their roles. Uh, there's this nonsense out there, Matt. I saw on Twitter that Anson Mount didn't like his time on Discovery. Uh, I don't think th- whoever wrote that knows how to read or watch because all the guy did was gush about how much he loved that job, leading to further speculation. Indeed. I mean, he had referred to himself as an unemployed actor because his time on the show for which he was contracted had ended. You know, they hired him for a season. The season was done. Um, But obviously he was super popular. And you have to assume that the attention paid with these short treks, that that is the biggest uh, testing point for something Kurtzman had teased, the possibility of a Pikes Enterprise series. And I mean, look, not for nothing, was that possibility kind of baked into the end of season two of Discovery? Absolutely. You know, fleshing out the crew in a way that they didn't necessarily need to. But, you know, this is a further thing. To be completely honest, I think it's a put your money where your mouth is. If if people were so excited, oh, because it was nostalgia factor, but they're not going to come back for the short treks, you know, okay. Or maybe they'll come back for the short treks. Maybe not when they come out right away, but dust off that subscription and closer to the card, then race through these Pikes Enterprise ones. Hey, that's good data for CBS to say this is, you know, we should invest $80 million in a Pikes Enterprise show or not. So, you know, we've had our quibbles about all access and this and that, the other. At the end of the day, they're putting out more product uh, like the product that we like, and you can vote with your dollars. We had speculated in our last star trek you know universe podcast that perhaps it would be a stretch to have a pike centric show pike spock number one enterprise you know whatever you're going to term it whatever you're going to do there uh given that they have discovery picard lower decks uh and we know that they want to continue to populate CBS All Access with the thing that brings the most viewers to their online box. Um, they would never tease this stuff and ask the audience, do you want this if there was not now a plan in place? 
The Star Trek Universe panel then moved on to its midpoint, talking about Lower Decks, which I have to admit, Pete, Lower Decks, I've said before in the podcast that I wasn't super interested in it. And while I think it is the third place ribbon of these three shows, at least as, as presented here at Comic-Con, this portion of the panel certainly started to turn me around on it. Kurtzman saying that he feels Star Trek can be doing more, particularly reaching out to kids and families. And um, also, Pete, the notion that this is set right after Nemesis. So all of a sudden it was like, whoa, we have, we, we have the 23rd century with the first two seasons of Discovery and you know Pike's Enterprise stuff. We have the 24th century with TNG and the very end of the 24th century with Lower Decks. Now we're in the 25th with Picard and now we're in the far off future with Discovery. We're really spreading things out here in a They're really in fun every way. time frame, which I think is a feat in and of itself. And you continue to explore this universe. That's only smart. And, you know, some people had confused Lower Decks as being the Nickelodeon show when the mention of kids. And boy, Matt, huh? Would it be uh, smart with a 53-year-old franchise to be building an audience from the youngest possible viewers, you know, with people who started watching this in their formative years who are now much, much older and perhaps no longer even consuming it? I think from a business plan, it's a great idea. I think where the confusion came was this. It was at this panel that that it was the first time I was made aware that Lower Decks was for families and kids. I was under the impression, particularly because there was going to be the basically, you know, kids only uh, Nickelodeon show. I thought that this was more in that kind of Rick and Morty, 10 year, 10 and older, 12 and older family guy, uh, maybe not with the sense of humor or, or some of the, the foul stuff. Family Guy's still funny, don't get me wrong, but kind of more of that, you know, adult swim kind of pool where, you know, you're talking teens and up. Um, I didn't know that Lower Decks was being made to be a broad-based Star Trek thing, and you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it being something, because look, all these Discovery episodes, I can't necessarily watch every little bit with my daughter. Hey, look away while there's a baby head being thrown into fire. I'm not going to have that problem (laughs) with Lower Decks. I think they're going to stretch a little bit of both of it. I think it will be more to the Rick and Morty and, you know, uh, I, I'm sure people are going to, you know, get gross stuff on them from aliens. And, you know, again, the holodeck breaking down and, and the goofy things they talked about there. I don't think we're going to see Tribble Rick uh, or anything like that. I also don't think it's going to be Goo Goo Gaga, you know, your first Star Trek. <clears throat> that is, again, the, the Nickelodeon one. Um, Let's count the lights, Dora style. One, <laughs> two, four. Exactly. Do you see the uh, four lights? But pa- speaking Pause of- for audience uh, reaction. Anyhow, Pete, back to you. We have four ensigns. Um, and the characters here, Ensign uh, Marnier. Uh, Bomler, Tendi, an Orion, and Cordero, who's got a little bit of a, you know, Geordi vibe, at least half of them. He's got the cybernetic uh, implant uh, on one of his eyes. I don't know what I was expecting from a Star Trek cartoon when I first saw these characters. It was like, oh no, they look like jokey cartoon characters. But they're really, I don't know, there's a certain there's a certain joy to the universe of this show that I think came across in this portion of the panel. Uh, you certainly have an interesting bunch of ensigns. I love, love, love that they are kind of, the, this whole show as a concept is being underplayed. You know, they're ensigns. Okay, we know that's the lowest of the low rank-wise. Uh, they're on the least important ship in Starfleet that does supply runs, which makes me think of the uh, great uh, old-timey movie, Mr. Roberts, where it's a World War II movie, and they're on a supply ship, and they transfer toilet paper and boring things. And it's just, it's such a great, it, it turns out that it's a great place to tell a story on the most boring ship that there is during exciting times. Um 
and uh, we add to that crew some of the uh, the more senior officers. There's Lieutenant Shax, there's Captain Freeman, uh, Commander Ransom, played by Jerry O'Connell. So now, Pete, they have husband and wife in Star Trek here, and Dr. Tana, who is Pete Acation. Uh, those are the cat people who I happen to have a uh, an affinity for uh, back to uh, my Worlds of the Federation book bought low these many years ago. Yeah, and again, people who used to host uh, official Star Trek podcasts not fully understanding or knowing the universe that they podcast saying that Cations have never spoken words when it's actually happened. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> Can that... Wait, Pete, you're telling me that somebody who was commenting on this Star Trek cartoon didn't know that there's already been a Star Trek cartoon with a talking cat person? Sigh. Wow. I mean, she was voiced by Majel Parrot, for goodness sake. It, it was super important. With all due respect to Walter Koenig, who they couldn't afford to pay, but everybody else they got. Uh, anyhow, Pete, I know that, uh, speaking of podcasts, there was some podcast news during this Lower Decks portion of the panel. Yes. Uh, Alex Kurtzman loves the Star Trek podcast. So thank you, Alex. <laughs> he also did announce that Tawny Newsom will be the host of the official Star Trek podcast. Uh, somebody else on Twitter said, oh, great. Now Star Trek has an official podcast, forgetting that they did have one and got rid of a host who didn't know things like how to pronounce basic names and things of that sort. So, Pete, welcome aboard to Star Trek Podcasting, Tawny Newsom. Well, I think it's fitting that you have the actress from uh, Lower Decks, who's also hosted podcasts, becoming the host of their official podcast. Because somebody, somebody's got to toe the company line, Matt. That's true. Uh, the last bit coming from the Lower Decks portion was that it'll uh, it the show will take place on the USS Ceratos, which is a California class ship. No design was improved uh, was showed. Uh, however, they did they did have a picture of an interior portion of the ship, which was the holodeck. And I think that I don't know how well that joke went over, but clearly that was a joke because it's like start with a black background, add the grid, add the arch. Look, it's somewhere on this new ship. Yeah, uh, not quite sure why they didn't show the ship. But again, we're not watching that show for the science. <laughs> uh, then Pete came the the crowning moment of it all where they switched over to Star Trek Picard. Uh, there were other people on stage, but of course, Sir Patrick, the one that uh, got everybody up off their feet and most excited to see him in person. Pete, unlike some iterations of STLV, nobody was walking out of the front row for this one. No, and he almost immediately apologized that the most important character, the dog, now confirmed to be number one on Star Trek Picard, not on the call sheet, Matt. The name of the character is number one, played by a dog named De Niro, couldn't make it. You know, I'm not crazy about that as a character name, but you know what? That doesn't mean it's going to take away my canon nor my childhood, and uh, I look forward to the show selling me on it, and, uh, you know, this is something that I will happily be wrong about. I think the decision to include a dog in light of what we know about other characters reprising roles and some opposites there, Mr. Data, I'm looking at you, um, again, just makes this all the more special. They are sitting on something that already has made tremendous ripples in pop culture and I think is going to be a massive success. This was also a portion where I have a little sympathy for the Kurtzmans and Goldsmans of the world where you need to say things and also say nothing. Uh, statements like Kurtzman saying, we're shaking up the character, but keeping him true to his form. As for character breakdowns, it's mysterious and under wraps. However, everyone is somehow broken and has inner demons. It's not a TNG sequel. It's slower, more lyrical, more character focused, says Goldsman. You know, Pete, like all those TNG episodes that never focused on characters in any bit. Uh, <laughs> If only they did something involving, I don't know, a flute and maybe, uh, you know, looking at your life uh, with a new perspective. 
Yeah, they hit all the necessary beats that they needed to in this panel. Let's let's be honest. We have uh, nobility, Matt, on the stage, Sir Patrick. Okay, you've you've got to kiss the ring, kiss the helmet, the sword, whatever the the metaphor should be. Um, and the lance, perhaps he is a the, knight. The lance, exactly. I assume they, I, I assume Queen Elizabeth gave him a lance. I don't know how it works. Maybe people in the UK can let us know. If she didn't, I mean, gosh, let's go back and, and do that. <laughs> um, the statement was also made, Picard is the captain we need, and the show reminds us that there's hope for a better future, which, on the one hand, I could be pessimistic and say, oh, that's just standard boilerplate. Let's fill in another minute here to say words and stuff, but... That also captures the Star Trek ethos in a way where sharing the date and sharing some of the surprise guest stars that no one knew about, that's juicy stuff, but the show is not about, oh man, Pete, the return of this character and that character. No Star Trek show should be about that. It should be about that sense of hope, that sense of working towards a better future. I don't know how the show is going to get us to a better future, but it's certainly, as we've seen with Star Trek, it's going to light the way for other people to figure it out. Yeah, and I think in the makeup of this show, you have that idea of, you know, the the camaraderie, the, the family that every uh, cast, ship, if you will, uh, seems to build around. And you have a real collection here of not just characters but the idea of humanity represented by some characters who are human some who are decidedly not yes it was you know it was moderately rumored or moderately solidly rumored that brent spiner would be back i don't know pete that anybody until the the trailer was shown i don't think anybody knew that Jerry Ryan's Seven of Nine was back. And certainly on no one's radar was Jonathan Del Arco, the actor who played Hugh the Borg in one episode, that he would be back too, particularly since Del Arco has had had a rough go since Star Trek, substance abuse issues and things like that. The fact that the three of them are back, all of a sudden, whoa, what this show can and can be about, kind of where it might be headed, has come into stark focus maybe not complete focus but certainly much more focused than i don't know 24 hours ago even more juice than it already had the return of patrick stewart to this role monumental that they're gonna do a hardcore borg thing i mean matt what do jerry ryan and jonathan del arco have in common with uh patrick stewart's character and then, you know, when we see the trailer to see a Borg cube, okay, it's a flashback, it's a flash sideways, it's a flash forward, whatever. It's Borg, baby. It's going to be in there, okay? And then you mentioned towards the end of their panel, before we get to the trailer, uh, they have three more episodes yet to film. Uh, Jonathan Frakes could not be in San Diego. Sir Patrick quipped that he confused Charlotte with uh, San Diego. Uh, but he begins filming Monday, tomorrow, Matt, uh, in that episodes or episodes he will appear in. And Marina Sirtis, Counselor Troy, will be back as well. Will they be together? Will they be separate? Who knows? They're coming back. Pete, it's proof that you can go home again, at least for Counselor Troy, uh, particularly given that it was about a year ago that Marina Sirtis was saying things like, this is fake Star Trek. The only real Star Trek is the one with Bill Shatner and the one we did. Everything else is not real. Uh, I guess proof that at the end of the day, you know, uh, cooler heads can prevail. And, hey, would you like to play Counselor Troy for money? Because we have a great Counselor Troy idea. And it all came together with her presence on the show. Pete, who else is going to be on the show? Perhaps a bit more regularly. Yeah, so the breakdown and, again, shrouded in only what is scripted that they could tell us during the panel, Matt. Issa Briones plays a character named Dodge, the one the trailer kind of centers on most after Sir Patrick, uh, a character who seeks out Picard for answers after a traumatic event in her life. I know speculation, you know, what's her connection to him? 
Pete, I know we got a tweet from our pals over at the Beyond Trek podcast. That's at Beyond Trek Pod. Uh, wondering, or indeed hoping, that she isn't a Picard clone, given that Nemesis did that, uh, or another shoehorned way to overdo fan service. I trust the producers, says uh, Beyond Trek Podcast. And I kind of agree if it's, oh, you didn't know, Grandpapa, that I am your granddaughter. You know, we can do something a little bit better than General Hospital-type uh, soap opera storyline reveals. I'm going to disagree slightly and go with what I suspect and, and what I'm kind of hoping for. I think she could be the daughter of uh, Picard's clone of Shinzon, played by Tom Hardy in Star Trek Nemesis, the last time we saw uh, either character. That would make her both Picard's technical daughter and not technical daughter. She's about the age that a child would be, uh, having been uh, born while Shinzon was still alive or right around the time he met his fate. Um, it would really create the most Star Trekian premise for this character's purpose. I know there's some speculation out there. All right, what if she's connected in some way to the Borg, that they did something there with a Picard experiment. You got to remember that the premise for this series is what has happened with the Romulans since the destruction of Romulus and Picard's connection to that having led the Armada somewhat unsuccessfully to rescue them. Pete, you, of course, tend to be so right about these things. I'll just offer perhaps another theory here. Maybe given Picard's uh, legendary status within the Federation, maybe there's something kind of similar to, you know, uh, Dodge wants to go to the, the Greek temple of old, you know, to seek answers from, from this, you know, wise source, now not the Greek temple, but rather to go see Picard. Um, it's a little bit better if there is some sort of crisscross in the past of her life, but uh, I figure I get a theory in there nonetheless. Evan Ivagora plays Elnor, a Romulan here, 17, an expert in forms of combat. We see him close with Picard throughout the trailer, uh, seems to have a sword as well. Pete, I'm sure that Elnor is going to be a great fully formed character, interesting, engaging, sympathetic, etc. I just have to share an anecdote that always pops into my head in situations like this with slightly older cast member, slightly younger cast member, uh, and it's this. Alec Baldwin has an anecdote from uh, around the time when 30 Rock was on, and maybe it was winding down, whatever, and he pitched a show to NBC. Uh, I think it was a reboot, rehash of a 1950s legal something something and the person he pitched it to is like yeah oh, i don't know kind of whatever and then alec baldwin sarcastically was like well how about we do this instead what if i play the guy who's always in the office and then there's four abercrombie and fitch models that are the lawyers that go out and you know investigate the case and the guy was like yeah yeah, yeah that sounds great and it was like no that's not what the show is about so i just hope here that elnor isn't there to be you know for the youth and to be youth with Picard. So that way, youth watch the show. I think it'll be a little bit more than that, Matt. Allison Pill is playing Dr. Agnes Gerardi, a researcher. Interesting aspect here. And somebody who has a relationship with Picard's past. Makes me wonder, too, researcher in what? You know, we have a couple of options. My mind first jumps to archaeology, given Picard's history with that. Perhaps it's a researcher in uh, Romulan-type stuff or Borg-type stuff, if we're going on the, uh, you know, the, the recent past for the Romulan people, if we're going for that Borg connection, uh, or is it some yet-unknown topic? Uh, Santiago Cabrera is playing Cristobal Chris Rios, who's former Starfleet uh, and struggling like many of these characters, Matt, with demons of his own. Yes, because they must have 
demons <laughs> and darkness in them. How else can you compete with games of thronings and other things? Um, <laughs> Pete, in the official rundown, the next character also is haunted by a demon. That is uh, Michelle Hurd's Rafi Musiker, a character who knows Picard from their shared past as well. Uh, and she a genius strategist. So I feel like there's tons of potential there for, you know, not a Spock or Data transplant of sorts, but somebody who is, you know, has that ability to assess the situation quickly and give a, you know, maybe a Sherlock Holmesian outcome, something like that. Or perhaps a Macha Hernandez vibe, Matt. I, I feel a lot from her appearance in the trailer. Like we're looking at a Sarah Connor, like we're looking at a uh, Tasha Yar archetype. Hey, certainly successful archetypes, particularly within Star Trek. Uh, lastly, at least for now, we have Harry Treadaway is playing Narek, a Romulan who has secrets and secret operations. Because Romulans aren't secretive at all especially now that they have no home world. Pete, your thoughts on this cast of characters here? I love that there are some fresh faces. I love, you know, that we've got an alum of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, courtesy of Daredevil in Michelle Hurd, somebody we've seen over there. Um, and... I think like with a lot of Star Trek casts and let's be honest, this show, though it is conceived to potentially go multiple seasons, this is not going to be a seven season show. This is limited in the sense that you're building it around a character in his later years and, you know, knock on wood, full health to Sir Patrick Stewart and, you know, everybody associated with this production. But if we haven't, learned from other franchises like star wars with the untimely passing of uh carrie fisher that you know you have these touchstone characters who mean so much but at the same time you've got to look toward the future and and who knows matt how iconic one of these characters on top of the other returning ones i mean the idea that we're going to see seven of nine in a tv series again that in and of itself is something i don't think we ever thought and then you bring in hugh uh of, of borg and and what could be going on there okay but again they can't carry a series necessarily at this point in their careers this is no fault towards jerry ryan at all she's a tremendous actress okay but you think of how long she's been away from it uh, without getting back to it for a little bit, who knows? Maybe this, you know, takes off and and she's back in Star Trek on a on a more regular basis. But you you've got to build again, like lower decks, like the Nickelodeon show, towards the future of both talent and a viewership. I say this with no sense of irony or sarcasm. Thirty years from now is the next new Star Trek show going to be centered around the return of Dodge, the return of Elnor, <laughs> characters whose names have only been out there for 24 hours in, in our ears. You know, are these the next great characters? That's the potential that this show has. Not that I'm trying to overlook its time, but make great characters that last and, you know, and there will be a home for them in the future. Yeah, and that we have this wealth of these series now with the potential wink wink of a pikes enterprise series still possibly to come uh it, it's something that three years ago we really had no right to expect well pete that uh, end of the picard panel there then concluded the star trek universe panel at uh, san diego comic-con Earlier in the week, uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, had a lengthy interview with Deadline and spoke a little bit about his Star Trek plans. Have you read this interview, Pete? I have not read the interview. I'm aware of a lot of the facts. All right. So I'm going to share some quotes with you, and we're going to get your reaction as we go here, since this might be 
not part of the Star Trek universe, capital S, capital T, capital U, but it's part of certain Star Trek ethos. Uh, on Star Trek 2009, here's what Tarantino had to say. I thought Chris Pine channeled William Shatner. He didn't go in a serious actory way. He said, well, no, I'm going to do my own thing. He's playing the William Shatner version of Kirk, and he's doing a fantastic job at it. I mean, perfect, frankly. And Kinto is perfect as Spock. Those two guys, they bleeping got it. Your thoughts, Pete? <laughs> of course he had to curse. I mean, and, you know, the other thing that came out of this so he's making the rounds for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which opens at the end of this coming week, uh, was out there in uh, Cannes and uh, has been asked because Star Trek is an international property as well. You know, oh, your Star Trek thing, your Star Trek thing. So the script is written, uh, you know, it's it's our um, and the, the newest piece of information that's come out is that. He would, could direct it, which he said before, he's he's done everything he can do in film. He's done one of everything. He hasn't done the science fiction yet, though. I guess that's where the asterisk comes in. We're just going to have to see. Uh, concerning the notion of an R rating versus a PG-13 rating, he says this. I'm going to do it my way. If you've seen my nine movies, you kind of know my way is, R, is an R-rated way and in a way that is without certain restrictions. Um, later on, he says, the thing is, when I talked about it to J.J., uh, it's not that radical. We're just not worrying about stuff like that. J.J. said, Quentin, I love this idea because I think with Star Trek, we can go in any way we want to. Close quote. Look, I've got a situation. As long as Paramount likes the idea and the script, they almost got nothing to lose right now when it comes to Star Trek. Deadpool showed that you can rethink these things, do them in a different way. So really, even before J.J. knew what the idea was, his feeling was, if it, if it wants to be an R rating, fine. If it wants to be the Wild Bunch in space, fine. So Pete, your thoughts on R-rated Star Trek? Hmm, well, what did he do? He opened up praising Chris Pine, who's currently unattached to Star Trek after the negotiations broke down to a fourth film that had been uh, announced as the third film had not yet hit uh, theaters and since has kind of spiraled into oblivion. Um, you seen Chris Pine in anything of super import lately? I mean, the guy gets work, but he's not done a Tarantino film yet. Uh, he's getting pitched and praised here and they're going to do something different. This is public negotiation. Uh, two more quotes here. One on the topic of if he will direct it, he says, I don't know if I'll do it or not. I've got to figure it out. But Mark wrote a really cool script. I like it a lot. There's some things I need to work on, but I really, really liked it. I get annoyed at Simon Pegg. He doesn't know anything about what's going on, and he keeps making all these comments as if he knows about stuff. One of his comments, he said, he's like, well, look, it's not going to be Pulp Fiction in space, close quote. Yes, it is. If I do it, that's exactly what it'll be. It'll be Pulp Fiction in space. That Pulp Fiction-y aspect, when I read the script, I felt I've never read a science fiction movie that ever has this S in it ever. There's no science fiction movie that has this in it. And they said, I know, that's why we want to make it. It's, at the very least, unique in that regard. And uh, he closes out by saying, uh, there's a gangster element to what we're doing with the Star Trek thing that works out pretty good. So Orion's, right? Uh, maybe. Uh, Pete, it seems you're a bit more upbeat about these quotes than I am. To sit and say, it'll be Pulp Fiction in space, and there's a gangster element... And it's unlike any other science fiction before. Look, I, I welcome new boundaries here, but I don't know. Uh, Pete, will <laughs> I pay to go see this? Sure. Do I think it's going to get made? Uh. I think it's closer to getting made than not. There's been some pushback on Tarantino in the last two years in light of the Uma Thurman comments, the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement. Um you know, again, making the rounds only because he's out uh, promoing what's, you know, publicly uh, 
called his his final feature film. Let's let's pretend the guy's never going to make a, a movie again. He has this opportunity with a half century old franchise to potentially reinvent to take further. I don't think it'll be as hard to the pulp fiction and my favorite movie movies that he's done are the Kill Bill films. And I think the thing that separates them is this deep, deep mythology that is baked into those in terms of their world. And for him to be able to play in Star Trek, I mean, Matt, he opens up uh, Kill Bill with a quote from the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Revenge is a dish that is best served cold. The guy's clearly a fan. He's knowledgeable. There are people who are resistant to his idea of being in the Star Trek universe, and there are people who embrace it. I think you're listening to a podcast of, you know, equal measure. Last bit of Star Trek news from the last week, and uh, this in the boring end of corporate stuff, but Viacom and CBS appear closer than ever to start to reunite. So how that impacts Star Trek on the TV end, Star Trek on the film end, I think, you know, stay tuned for that, particularly if Kurtzman is the, the godfather now of all things TV, Star Trek, and that merger happens, you know, does it have an impact on the Tarantino stuff, et cetera, et cetera? I don't know, but watch out for that to whatever degree it's an issue. I mean, one can assume Paramount must have signed off on at least some of the stuff in Picard since they're referencing Nemesis. And it, this is the most boring part of doing anything in the world of entertainment, which is entertainment lawyers dealing with lawyer stuff. But again, something that can impact Star Trek and that we should keep an eye on. I mean, if there was a time to have this tremendous growth back in the TV end, it's now. It's all happened since the last movie. Speculation continues to run. Will they be able to get the band back together for a fourth Star Trek J.J. Abrams film? Uh, is the Tarantino way the next way? Is it both? Is it neither? Um yeah, I mean, we'll just have to see in terms of what happens. I, I think part of it, again, is a negotiations. These are high stakes ideas within a high stakes property. A couple of tweets here from people sharing their Star Trek thoughts. Uh, the first one, Pete, from the Grand Dame of our podcast. Anyway, that's uh, Mary Kirk, a.k.a. Geek Kirk, on Twitter. She says, look, my name is Kirk. They got me back from my first fandom. I cried at that trailer, and I'm currently re-watching TNG because I need to be prepped and ready. Hashtag OG Trek fan. Yeah, and that remains where this is headed in terms of pulling people that didn't get back for discovery that hadn't checked it out and when they get on for picard you know they check that out and suddenly oh my god we're a thousand years in the future and they're referencing picard and i love it it is interesting to think that you know though we have enjoyed discovery week by week as new episodes come out for some people it now exists as this back catalog only like they can experience it all you know 26 episodes or whatever it is 27 episodes like all in one sitting when they're in between picard episodes things of that sort uh pete another tweet here from our pal jj nato who says i want a 25th century uh, trek show still but that doesn't mean i'm not jazzed uh as hell for picard i hope there's a janeway or chakotay cameo <laughs> i wouldn't go that far i'm just reminded and i know pete you just corrected me that marina sirtis who's been you know, demonstrative against the current Star Trek regime now is going to be returning to it. I think of the time that we saw Robert Beltran, a.k.a. Chakotay, uh, at a convention where he was sour towards Star Trek and and kind of sour towards the audience, and he'd go a little bit too far, and you hear people go, oh, and he'd smile and say, oh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, but he wasn't. Um, another tweet here from Beyond Trek Pod, uh, Picard, Seven, Data, and Hugh, all had invasive experiences with the Borg, no coincidence. A Romulan-controlled Borg cube, a la the MCU's Nowhere, a young girl with mysterious Borg links. 
all excited things uh, or all things to be excited about, Pete. Yeah, again, the, the promise of the premise that they've set up. And there's a couple different ways they can go. You're, you're seeing it baked into what they've given you. But all this speculation leading up, it's a, it's a healthy and a productive thing. Pete, last tweet here. It's one that I think encapsulates a debate that's been going on on Twitter a little bit. Uh, tweet from J. Michael Troutman. That's at uh, J-M-A-C, duck kid. Uh, data, duh. So, Pete, is it data? Is it B4? Is it B5? Is it data <laughs> in flashback? Is it data as a ghost? Is it data from a separate timeline brought back because of Izel and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? What is it? It's B9. Well, there you go. Definitively, it's B9. Maybe BX, where X is the correct number of, uh, I don't know, version. But Pete, certainly lots of Star Trek coverage to come with lots of Star Trek ahead of us. Who helps make it possible? That would be the people of patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Yes, all sorts of perks on there that at the end of the day help keep the podcast listener supported help keep it sustainable all those back star trek episodes all those future star trek podcasts made possible by those people got your marvel on there got star wars have other geeky goodness etc and could not do it without you pete there is however the best treat of all and that's a freebie how can people talk to you on twitter you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,596 followers, can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P-H, like it today. Well, Pete, we will talk more Star Trek when more Star Trek news happens. You never know when it could be. Uh, certainly, San Diego Comic-Con was a good guess, but who knows when the next reveal will be, and we are eager to talk about it. But with that, I will say kapla to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. We never know, do we, when our best moment will be. 